Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome to Add Passion and Stir. It's the conversation that we love to have about food, passion, and making a difference in the world. I'm here with my colleague from Share Our Strength, Jenny Dirksen, who works on all things culinary and has for uh, many, many years. Jenny, I'm really thrilled to have you on the podcast this morning. Good morning. And uh, we've got a really special guest today for a variety of reasons, including the fact that he's got a book coming out that I can't wait to talk about. We're here with Brother Luck, who started in kitchens uh, early on at the age of 14, ended up in culinary arts vocational school, now has some amazing restaurants in Colorado Springs. Uh, We're going to talk about those. Uh, Two of them that I know are Four and Street Eats, and I think there's a a third. Uh, Many of our listeners will know him from uh, television from being a finalist on Chopped and from Bravo's Top Chef seasons 15 and 16. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm really excited that he's got a memoir coming out called No Luck's Given. Life is hard, but there's hope. Brother Luck's a leader in mental health awareness, uh, an expert on mentorship, uh, and really passionate about empowering others. Uh, we're really grateful that you're able to take the time to join us, brother. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Um, so we were just talking about you uh, are coming to us from Color- Colorado Springs, born and originally from uh, San Francisco. We always like to start with some conversation about just what were your earliest influences that led you into culinary? Uh, and where did the uh, both the, the, the talent, the passion, the appetite come from? Yeah, you know, um, I, I think for most people, cooking starts at home. The 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 smell of, of grandma cooking or your mom simmering something, those are direct connections to uh, to the memories. So when I was fourteen, uh, I needed I needed I needed something to eat. I was hungry, and working in restaurants always provided that. It provided uh, a family. It provided uh, financial security, and it, it provided experiences in life. So, you know, the, the connection starts at home, but then it quickly translates into the restaurant. Say a little bit more about the, the providing family, because I hear that a lot from chefs and restaurateurs and, and restaurant owners who didn't originally necessarily set out uh, for a career in culinary, but found that family element and that family value that you're talking about. Yeah, you know, I think when it comes down to the when it comes down to the family um, we bond on a level in between the the plates and the dishes, and you have to depend on each other, right? Restaurant families are going to fight. We're going to love. We're going to support each other. Uh, but at the end of the day, the hardest part is uh, is is learning to be vulnerable and learning to trust, and and that has to happen when you're working in a restaurant dealing with the high pressures of serving the guests. Um. Give us an example, learning to be vulnerable. What did, I mean, what, how, how did that manifest itself in, in your work? Yeah, well, you know, I think when it comes to the kitchen, my biggest thing is, at least on my side, is I come from a rough background and you have this hardened edge of, I'm not going to trust anyone. I'm not going to let anyone into my world because I don't want to get hurt. And when you get into a kitchen, you have to shed that almost immediately because you're on full display of where your skill set is. And it's based on your skill set. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where where your family's from, how much money you have, what type of education. It comes down to you, your character, your personality, and then how you're going to show up and perform. 
So, you know, when I got into kitchens, I had to lose that edge really quick and learn to trust the person working next to me or, or the chef that was giving me directives. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a unique experience that many people get to get to have. Brother, before I turn to Jenny, cause I know she's got some questions related to your experience with culinary. Um, you referenced your rough background. I've read a little bit about it. Um, some of our listeners probably know, but others probably don't talk about, uh, what made your, your growing up both rough and formative for you. Yeah. Well, you know, my father passed away when I was 10 years old. Um, it was sudden, it was quick and, uh, my mother got lost in, in her grief. So it was really my brother and I, um, that were just kind of left to fend for ourselves. And as we went through that process, um, he got lost. You know, my brother was locked up in juvenile pretty quick. So I was on my own trying to find my way in the world and having to grow up extremely early. So when you get into this, not even a teenager yet, it sounds like not even a teenager, you know, you're, you're hardened by the streets at such a young age. Um, you're, you, you become a survivalist, right. And, and you have to do whatever it takes to, to survive the day. So for me, it was landing in the kitchens, getting a steak sandwich, sleeping on a couch, and then developing a bond and developing friendships. You, I like that word survivalist. And, you know, I think tying it a little bit to our work at No Kid Hungry, um, you know, there are thousands of kids across the nation with big dreams and big goals who are put in similar positions. Um, but you had um, an opportunity to, to channel some of that right around that age when we were talking uh, earlier, you mentioned that you had gone through CCAP, the Careers Through Culinary Arts Program. Um, and I'd love for you to say a little bit about how that started to point a direction for you. CCAP is a program that saves lives through and through. And it's one of the reasons I love working with organizations like No Kid Hungry, because food insecurity is, so, is something that is so real. And most of the kids going through CCAP come from backgrounds where they grew up food insecure. And, you know, my story led me into the kitchen to, to a home ec class because I was looking for lunch. I wanted to ensure that I was going to get something to eat every day. So finding a vocational program in high school that provided that, but also provided me a skill set. They taught me, they taught me how to, how to cook that, that changed my life. So when the when the chef actually so many people ask me they're like brother you know how did you become a chef so so early it wasn't that I wanted to become a chef I had I had positive role models who who gave me courage and hope and said you're good at cooking and I believed them and I became so addicted to that next point of validation that I chased it so I chased the, the approval of my of my uh, executive chefs and, and my teachers and instructors. And then w- once they got me into competitive cooking uh, and I got to meet people like Richard Grossman and, and join the CCAT family, um, that that's a game changer because that, that organization invests so much into their students because they are the future. And here we are, you know, 25 years later, and, and now you're able to give back as, as somebody who's a leader in the industry. I think that's one of the most amazing things about cooking at, at all, because I, I really feel it's a it's a skill and an art and a trade that almost anyone with a passion can learn. But especially, brother, what you said, modeling back, right, and helping to show the next generation and the next and the next that ev- everyone can find a path no matter where they're coming from, right, if they can find a few supporters and mentors like you've been able to. 
Billy? Yeah, brother, uh, you were talking about role models. I know you're uh, a great advocate for mentoring. Um, tell us about somebody who was a role model for you and how they ended up making such a big difference. Yeah. You know, I, I think of someone like, I think of someone like Richard Grossman. I think that's a, that's a perfect example. This was, this was a man who came into my life as a 16, 17 year old boy and said, you, you have the future ahead of you. Like he, he laid it out. He, he gave me an opportunity to, to open the door. He showed me the door, but he didn't open it. You know, he just unlocked it. And it was my responsibility to turn the knob, to turn the handle, to push it open and start running. And Mr. Grossman has been so involved in my life uh, throughout all these years, over the last 25 years, and he's continued to create opportunities for me. I mean, I, I wouldn't have traveled to Japan with the Gohan Society and and been able to experience Kaiseki food and working in you know top tier Michelin restaurants without the opportunity that CCAP provided, Mr. Grossman provided for me. So there, there's so many stories like that um, where I'm just I'm grateful, and it's why I work so hard to be a, a strong mentor for the people who work for me. It's an incredible example. And how did how did you all connect in the first place? How did you get even connected to CCAP? I moved to Phoenix when I was 16 and I wanted to get into, um, I went to this vocational school, you know, it's kind of one of those programs where it's like, we're probably, we're going to teach you a trade because you're probably not going to college. So I was, I, I picked culinary. I, I chose culinary cause I, I, I'd probably get to meet some girls and I knew I would get something to eat. Like that's, that's the mind of a young boy. What I didn't expect was this program to actually changed my life to, to, to give me the opportunities of the world. And, uh, it's, it's just been surreal all these years later, you know, food has, has connected me to so many people and it's taken me so many places. And it's, it's a skill that's actually provided me, um, an entire future. I mean, I, I, I've built my businesses on it. I've built my brand on it. Um, and here we are writing a book about it. Um, and, but before we tackle a couple other serious topics, I don't know if this is a digression, but I want to talk about food for a minute. Just tell us, what do you love to cook? Oh, I love, I love to cook everything. Uh, you know, I think when you're, when you're, <laughs> it's such a cliche, but it's so true. You know, when you're, when you're standing on a stove and you're, you're, you're executing the perfect technique of searing something or, or braising something or simmering something, there's a connection to the ghost of your past. You're, you're channeling the the people who have stood before you and and taught you these lessons, whether it was grandma, or it was your father, or it was your mother, or it was even the people that you've worked with um, in your career. I I love that. I love that. So there's there's so many things that that stand out. Um, I'd say gumbo is probably a big piece. I'm Creole, so when I when I when I make a nice pot of gumbo and I'm standing there stirring that roux and getting those nutty flavors to come alive. Um, it, I'm, I'm transported down to Louisiana and, you know, running around in the, in the marsh. Jenny, I know from talking to you that you had an interest in kind of the connection between food and heritage. Um, let's get into that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, brother, I read in an interview how Top Shelf actually pushed you to embrace your heritage when it came to approaching your cooking. And I've had a lot of chef friends say something similar that they had for a long time avoided cooking the foods of their youth 
um, and then ultimately found some level of success and satisfaction by embracing those dishes or ingredients or traditions. And I, I would love to hear, what do you think helps to awaken that awareness in, or even pride within? Yeah, I, I think when it comes to heritage, um, most of us are plagued by shame. And I think you have to deal with the shame and move beyond that and embrace who you are as a person to begin to discover your your story and your path and the people who came before you and, and where they came from. You know, for me as a biracial person, my father's black, my mother's white, uh, both with Louisiana roots, I, I struggle with that as an American chef because what are you? We, we take from so many different cultures and, and create this melting pot of flavor. We don't really have a specific cuisine. So as an American chef, you're always trying to define who am I? So there's two ways that you can really push it. You can go into storytelling and, and the people of your past and, and, and the memories that you have and the connection, or you can go into regional and you can share, you can share the experiences of where you live and the people of that region. So, you know, I, I really have, have enjoyed the experience of being on Top Chef because it's forced me to look at myself um, on camera and hear your cadence and hear your thoughts. And it makes you go down the rabbit hole and, and it's opened up a lot of doors. But, you know, I still, I don't, I don't have a Southern restaurant, like even though my family's Cajun and Creole, I, I cook that way at home. <laughs> so I think there's still a piece of like, I don't know if it's good enough, to be, you know, my focal point for the restaurant when, you know, I'm in Colorado. Uh, brother, uh, you're talking about, uh, top chef. What, what's the, um, what's the kind of the, uh, maybe the mental journey from, uh, having, uh, what you described as a, as a rough growing up to becoming a, a chef and a very good and successful one to then becoming a celebrity chef <laughs> whose voice reaches, a lot of folks. So when did it kind of click for you that like, gosh, I'm, I'm not just a chef anymore. I'm a celebrity chef. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, when you get notoriety, uh, that five minutes of fame feels exciting. You're, you're so excited because these opportunities are being presented to you and you've got people knocking on your door or emailing you and calling you to say, Hey, we want you to be a part of, we, we want to include you because we think you're, you're good enough. That feels good. But then it starts to subside. At, at some point, it moves on to the next cast. It moves on to the next star. It moves on to the next show. And you're kind of left of, I've got so much more to say. So you have to create opportunities within this digital world that we live in to find your voice, speak on the subjects that mean a lot to you, and, and continue to, to gain uh, a following of people who appreciate your message. So it's been unique coming off of Top Chef and, you know, what I went through on the show, but then finding a voice because of those experiences and being able to relate to people who watch me on a daily basis, whether it's on TikTok or it's on Instagram or, you know, they're just following me on Facebook or stopping in the restaurants. So speaking of voice and having a lot to say, uh, let's talk about the book. It's uh, it's it's super exciting. Um I, I just finished the audio book yesterday, so uh, we, we recorded the entire thing um, in my voice, which was, was awesome. Um, I read the book again, and uh, I liked it, so that's important. Um, <laughs> but it, what, what's, what's really important about the message in the book is 
right? No luck's given to me means uh, pride, courage, determination, and perseverance. You have to get through these things. You have to 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 not quit. You got to make it, right? We, I mean, most recent, we've all just survived this pandemic, especially as a restaurant industry. The things that happen during that time to survive are are based on those core principles. So when I look at my life, my life is based on faith, family, and food. And I'm trying not to screw that order up, even though I'm going to mess it up every day. I try to prioritize that to live a healthier lifestyle. But it doesn't mean I'm not damaged, right? I deal with so much of of mental health uh, concerns that I have to be aware of them. And I've realized as I've shared my story, my story is no longer about me. My story is actually meant for someone else to hear. So I go through my pain. I share my struggle. So someone else can say, me too. I think that's beautiful. And one great thing that has come about in the restaurant industry over the past, you know, years, decade, are, right, folks who are speaking out exactly for that reason, so that other folks can recognize themselves and, and even finding a network of groups that are there just just so that these feelings can be heard. And right, once it's out in the open, we can really start to to deal with things. So you've been an outspoken advocate for mental health in the restaurant industry. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what that looks like operationally in an active restaurant, what resources are needed and how others could help. Mental health is something we've ignored for so many years, especially in the restaurant industry. We've been built on bravado and pride and ego and and this, this, this broken system of numb your pain until the next shift and then go through the pain again. And we've watched countless friends fall victim to addiction, to, to, you know, depression, to, to anxiety attacks. And we didn't know how to label it. We didn't know how to discuss it. We would never discuss it. And I think at some point in my career, I eventually broke. And, and, and I'll never forget the day where I had to make the decision of, I want to live. And I made that choice. And I have to make that choice every day. When it comes to the restaurant industry and some of the things that I do within my restaurant, I mean, a perfect example is every year we do an event called Sober Week. And we, we, I make the choice to go completely sober for the entire week. I'm not forcing any of my staff to do that. But what we're going to do is we're going to have early morning activities for both restaurants uh, teams to come out and participate. We don't want you to stay out late. So as we begin this discussion and we do these events, it actually builds dialogue of, oh, I can get up at seven in the morning and go play kickball or go for a hike or go, you know, serve the community. These are things that are opening up discussions, which are so important. I mean, we just we we have a we have an organization here in Colorado called Chow, uh, which I love Colorado Hospitality Outreach and Wellness. They they provide resources, tools, training for mental health, for any restaurant worker, any hospitality worker. Um, and we host those meetings at, at, my, at one of my locations every Tuesday night. And you can log on anonymous through Zoom, or you can show up in person. And you'd be surprised at how many people that you think have it all together as chefs, business owners, leaders, managers, don't. They don't. And there's the power in the group. I love those early morning activities. Um, we have a fundraising event called Chef Cycle that's a three-day, 300 miles 
Um, we've we've been in California the past number of years, but what we've heard from chefs who's who have ended up enticing their cooks to join them on the ride is that's what they did. They would do training rides just as a way for the group to bond and to maybe encourage a little bit of a, a healthier lifestyle, one that provides more resiliency for folks working really hard hours. Um, and, you know, there seems to be a measure of success there. Beautiful work. Bro- Brother, Jenny's recruiting you to ride if you haven't noticed. Yes, I am. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny. So um, I was on, I'm on Peloton and uh, uh, Franz gets on there and he's all over me about it. He's like, brother, you need to come to California. You're going to ride with us. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like that sounds like so much work. <laughs> I'm all about healthy lifestyle, but a hundred miles over three days. Um, yeah, I don't know if I can commit that. That's, that's, that's super scary. (laughs) You've mentioned a little bit with the restaurant, but you also pointed to, you know, faith, family and food and and trying to keep things more or less in that order. What are some ways that you maintain balance, wellness, or even just fun for yourself outside of the restaurants? You know, I found that I love playing golf, um, during, during the season. And it's, it's something that I force myself to do because I need the checkout. I need the four hours of disconnect of my phone being shut off and and having an outlet of something that's going to challenge me mentally, but also something that allows me to embrace nature. And it's just something where my sommelier and I play, you know, on a weekly basis. And and I've, I've realized like, this is part of my healing that I have to focus on um, to take care of myself. I can't take care of anyone else if I'm not taking care of me. Uh, I want to, you know, kind of drill down a little bit on the mental health issue and how you tackle it, because it feels, it feels to me like one of the kind of the catch 22s here is that because there's stigma related to mental health, because there's this, um, kind of, uh, attitude that I th- thought you summed up so well, numb your pain until the next shift. Um, there, there, it feels like there's some built in obstacles to addressing, this issue uh, that you've got to overcome before you make progress, and they're kind of entrenched. And I'm just wondering, what, you know, when you when you kind of confront those obstacles, how do you knock them down? How do you get around them? How do you make progress on an issue that has some of these built-in challenges? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the hardest part about our industry, and I, and I think for any industry, a lot of people fall victim to the addiction of work, and and we justify the hours that we put in, the things that we're sacrificing, because at least we're getting paid for this addiction. And and that's not a healthy lifestyle choice. This is something that's still going to put the weight of of, of breaking on your shoulders. And and I can't carry, I mean, I feel like I'm living in a pressure cooker and, and I need someone to take the weight off and release my steam. So I got to a point in my life where, where I broke. I mean, I broke hard and it was actually while filming Top Chef in Kentucky for whatever season that was, season 16, and making a decision that could have changed so many people's lives for the worst because I was selfish and I was so lost in my own pain. When I woke up that next morning, I had to make that decision. And, and, and I've realized over the years as I've gone through the healing process that I have to speak up and be vulnerable and live through my pain because somebody else is living that story right now. And, I, and that's my hope with the book. That's my hope with the message. You know, it's not about fame. It's not about ego. It, it really is about saving people. And, and I think 
story has the ability to do that when it's approachable and people can relate and they identify with you. Brother, what was the process of writing like for you? Um, how long did it take? Uh, you, you, or do you feel like you're a natural writer or do you have to work at it? Um, it when, when a first book comes out, uh, it raises for me all kinds of you know interesting questions about how you pulled it off with, with everything else that you've got going on. Um, I'm, I'm a natural storyteller. I love telling stories. I love create. I mean, as a chef, that's such a necessary role when it comes to the guest experience. We've got to tell the story of the farmer. We've got to tell the story of the fisherman. We've got to talk about how the dish came together and, and how we transform these ingredients to create something that's going to be memorable and something that's going to be exciting for you to bite into. But I've got to lay the groundwork of that story before you take that first bite. And, and that transforms into what we're doing on social media, right? We're telling stories to, before the guest gets to us. They know us before they get to us. So when it, when I, when it came to the book, I wrote a chapter um, about my father passing away. And this was four years ago. And I shared it with my wife. My wife said, um, that was amazing. And she cried. And I go, I think I need to write a book. And then I lied to myself for three years that I was writing a book. <laughs> it was a number of you know short essays and stories and bits and pieces here and there. And uh, everybody was coming off of Top Chef and they immediately go into a traditional publishing deal where I'm going to write a cookbook. I didn't feel that I had earned the right to, to give people a cookbook yet because you don't really know me and you don't understand my food until you talk to me. So... I decided I wanted to write this memoir and we self-published this. So I got to work with amazing people to put every piece of it together. But as a chef, being a control freak, um, that is a great driving seat for me. Well, brother, I think you'll appreciate this because uh, I, I've written a, a couple of books and my first one was called Revolution of the Heart. And it started after my dad died. I wrote a long letter to a friend about my father. Uh, a very long letter. And when I, by the time I'd finished it, I realized, and he was, you know, a big influence in my life. Um, I realized that, you know, it was, it was essentially a, a chapter. Um, but if I ever wanted to get it published, I would have to write, you know, a dozen other chapters to make a book out of it. Uh, and I felt like all the rest of the book that I wrote was, you know, really in service of getting that um, one piece about my dad uh, published. So, um, you know, very interesting parallel there. I totally appreciate what you what you went through doing that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, how long did it take you to write? Um, I, I'd say this, the total project from, from the first story till now having the book in my hands is about four years, but this last year is what, what just accelerated. Everything just kind of came into play of, of meeting the people and, and listening to these signs that God was giving me and, and following them and getting out of the way. Right. I, I my life is most out of control when I'm trying to drive. And I have to let go of the wheel. So this book has been a, a perfect example of that is I'm not in control of it as much as I want to be. And here we are with the final result. And it's exciting to be able to discuss what the future is going to look like as we begin to share this message. Um, yeah, it's, it was it was a fun process. I'm sure for many folks who don't know you well. Uh, this will be a way of kind of creating a uh, starting and creating a, a conversation with them when, when they read the story. For those who do know you well, is there anything in the book that will surprise them that will be like, gosh, I did not know that about brother or what he'd gone through? 
You know, I, I think there's going to be a lot of that. Uh, my As I was recording this audio book, the sound engineer knew who I was, was him and his wife were fans of me as a chef. They had watched me on television and he got to sit there and listen to me read for three days in a row. And he said, I am blown away by how much you've done in your life, but also what you've persevered through. He goes, your hardships are are um, insane to listen to. These These stories are crazy. But then you find this connection of confidence and you you take the lessons of your mentorships and you become this leader in, in how you think. Because I'm just enamored by the way you approach leadership. Like every time I talk to you now, you you're just dropping these gems on like how you run your team, how you lead your team. And I, I can't I, I watch how much you do and I'm just blown away by it. So I think a lot of people get will get a background story to what I've been doing um, behind the scenes, you know, as as it's away from the camera. So the book, again, is No Luck's Given from Brother Luck. I'm assuming that you're going to spend um, some time traveling around and talking about it and promoting it, uh, which books need their their authors to do. Uh, and then uh, what's gonna, kind of in the category of what's next for you? You know, it's exciting. Um, I, I've, I've found two passions through this process. One is writing, uh, sharing your story, but two is is being on stage and and really connecting to an audience. And I think as a chef, I've I've been trained essentially to be present in the experience and enhance the experience. So a lot of keynotes are actually coming out of this process. Um, it, it was a obviously a way to sell books as well. Uh, but I think as we get on the road and we start to really push a lot of these books in different markets and we hit New York and we hit L.A. and we hit Phoenix and we hit Chicago, these these are still going to revolve around my opportunity to share my story, to inspire somebody, whether it's leadership, it's entrepreneurship, it's perseverance or it's just being an awesome chef. And the bonus is I can cook. So <laughs> you get the demos, you get the you get the the the, the ability to taste my feelings and my story Um and that's something I think separates myself from from a lot of just, you know, other keynote speakers is you, you're going to get a little bit more with me. That sounds like a pretty attractive package. Jenny, have you got a plan to get us connected with uh, the book and with Brother Luck? Oh, definitely. We'll, we'll figure out some great work ahead. Brother Luck is doing so many amazing things. Um, just a, really a treat to get to hear more about you from you. Well, yeah, our time is, uh, has, has flown by. I know it would um, as we come to a close. Anything else that uh, you're in, Jenny? No, I think this is just a, a, a beautiful snippet of an interview. Thank you again. Well, it's really been a treat to learn more about uh, you and your work, Brother Luck. Thanks so much. Uh, best of luck to you. Uh, and we're going to be uh, intersecting down the road, I'm sure. So thanks so much for joining us on Add Passion and Stir. Absolutely. Please visit adpassionandstir.com. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Share Ad Passion and Stir with a friend and rate the show so that others can find it. Ad Passion and Stir is produced by Paul Woody Whittle's team at District Productive and Johanna Weber of Pop and Awe with support from our team at Share Our Strength in the No Kid Hungry campaign. They include Debbie Shore, Pamela Taylor, Megan Cantrell, and Kelly Griffin. We'll be back in two weeks with more stories of individuals sharing their strength to make a difference in the world. Until then, thanks so much for listening.